You're now listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, broadcasting from sunny Orange County, California. Filmmaker, journalist, and film historian, Paul Booth. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. So happy to be back here today after had to take a couple-month hiatus to handle some family stuff. So I'm really thrilled to be doing this, and today it is suiting. We have a guest who, he was on about seven years ago, I want to say. We're in our first year. We're coming up on eight uh, I'll, I'll bring him on, and then we'll get into some good stuff that he's been up to. Marcus, aloha. Aloha. Thanks for having me back after quite some time. Of course, man, of course. I appreciate that you always keep your word to come back, so that's always oh, going to be good in my graces. Do yeah, you, it's I, always a fun time. Oh, yeah, man. I'm, I, I want to start off with probably the most cliche question I've ever asked on this show, but got to do it. You have a background, comedy, features, uh actor for hire chameleon and we'll start off with your shorter doc which you can tell us what happened with that doc um go ahead why don't you tell us about your short doc but my my first question is why documentaries and then if you could kind of tell us a little bit about the doc if you want to first or second why documentaries why not (laughs) i you know i um (laughs) i (laughs) yeah i don't know I, i i never thought i never I never saw myself as a documentary filmmaker. I never thought about doing documentaries. I was never interested in the idea. And the town I come from is um, just, it, it just came to me as far as, uh, you know, the town I'm from is a little town called Kinston in North Carolina. And, um, you know, it's known for basketball and it's known for um, NBA talent coming out of there and small, tiny 20,000 person town. And yet they've had the most NBA draft picks per capita in the world. Um, but also they've, you know, they've got the highest uh, crime rate in the state uh, per capita, right. uh, or they did. And so there was just, just this kind of dramatic spectrum of like, just obviously like, okay, you should probably go and do something there. Um, and anyways, uh, the, the players just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And once Brandon Ingram, this, the last big player that came out, once he went to Duke back in 2016, that's when I was like, okay, we should, uh, let me let me hit up his dad. So I reached out to his dad. Didn't hear anything. You know, hit him up on Facebook. That's all I had at the time. Didn't hear anything. Then about a year or so goes by, and then the ESPN drops this article about Kinston, and um, and I read it, and it was really great by Baxter Holmes. And um, then I then I realized, let me. I need to go. I need to go and just shoot something here and uh, figure out what's what. And anyways, long story short, it just. Um, it just came to me. It just came to me. And I'm glad oh. it did. And it's funny. And it's funny how it's that prodigal son or it's that, it's that kind of circle, that full circle, you know, return back home that, that is just kind of so ridiculously, you know, what do you say? Uh, kind of dramatic in a way for me personally to kind of explore this whole new way of doing, of filmmaking that I never really I don't know. I just don't, I don't know how it would have went if it wasn't for my hometown introducing me to the documentary form with this story. So, um, Interesting. there's, yeah. Yeah. So I guess I wow. kind of answered both those questions at the same yeah, time. Yeah, And tell us the title. Something in the water, a Kinston basketball story. And that's available on pbs.org, correct? It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. PBS. It's on Tubi, I think still. And it's on canopy. If you have a subscription to canopy, which is like a library, uh, I think it's a library. Oh, okay. And, uh, uh, and, system of libraries. 
And what was the uh, three-pointer that you hit with this film that was just a cool experience that I'd love to hear about real quick? What do you mean? What's the, what's the, the highlight of the film? Did, did you get a nice little trophy for the film? You know, we got an Emmy for the tro- for the, uh, for the the film. Yep, 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 <laughs> yep. You know, that sounds like I've been answering this question so many times now. <laughs> yeah, it's virtually, oh my gosh, man. It, yeah, I, what can you say right. that's not so obvious? I mean, it's so gratifying, so uh, validating and, and it's like this massive, like huge checkpoint that I feel like I've reached once we got that thing. You that's know? cool. All the hard work before that has been justified. Oh, that's awesome, man. Well, I I love this idea of kind of returning to your home and getting to do something. So this ties into what my next question was perfectly. You, I think it was, if I have this correct, the guy said something like, is it one in 50-something players? There was some kind of statistic of people <clears throat> that go there or... It's about um, one in fifty-three that that play for uh, Kenson High School on the varsity team uh, have made it to the NBA in some form, <laughs> whether it be um, not first-round draft picks, but just some some sort of you know NBA uh, affiliation. But there's been I think nine, nine or right right at almost ten NBA draft picks from that town. Oh, it's, wow. it's a crazy number, crazy, crazy, crazy number. Well, that's amazing. So for you as a director, again, you had mm. the first person who pulled you back into the story, but in kind of casting or selecting the other people, was there kind of like a, was it just obvious choices to you or is there kind of like footage we'll never see or how did that work with the players? Oh, great question. Great question. So some of it was obvious at first and some was not. Uh, so there was one kid named Dontrez Styles who I kept hearing about through, through some friends. They knew I was, there was a few, it's like Trey Scott, my cousin, and then my friend Adam Stout. Um, those are the two guys that were like kind of keeping my ear, their ear to the ground for me before I went to go shoot. Cause I was just like, you know, I'm thinking about doing this and like, is there any new players coming out? Cause that would be amazing to film current day Verite, you know, um, the now and to follow somebody around that's really coming up. And John Trez styles is the name I kept hearing about. So that was the obvious, pretty obvious starting point. But then it was like, okay, that's just a piece of this story. How do I kind of tap into the past? And, and also like, how do you tell a story where you don't have too many characters? Cause you can't have, I mean, look, we interviewed probably 25 people Whoa! and you can't have 25 people talking. The whole, I mean, you can, right, but like right. we, once we realized it was going to be a short film, once the, um, we, 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 we were, we were in a position for a docu-series with like a Netflix docu-series and long, long, long story short, the head coach of the Kenson High basketball program pretty much uh, decided not to let us film the uh, <clears throat> the players throughout the season, which would have given us a series. Shit. So we had to go. Yeah. So we had to go back <laughs> to uh, good old boy shit, you know. So yeah. we had to go back to. Um, I don't think so. I can't do it. <laughs> I said, what? What? But Anyways. I went to school with your grandpappy. Sorry. <laughs> It was just a shocking thing. Was like, I don't want. I don't want kids. I don't want the kids to regret it. What regret? What? What do you mean? <laughs> so I'm gonna go ahead and push. You know, pump the brakes on that. On that. Uh, uh, I you see. Know. It's just a frustrating thing. But so what happened was, the project kind of stalled out and got pushed pause on for like about six months. And then I realized, okay, well, what if we just like made? What's the best version we can make from here? And then what if we? backed into like a PBS half hour and made the very best half hour P- film we could make. You know, I was editing, but I also brought on a, uh, an editor, Brian Simpson, who, um, 
just some second set of fresh eyes. It's really nice to have when you're also the director and producer, you know, you don't want to have to. Right. It, it's really nice not to edit also, because then you can kind of remain more of an audience member. Anyway, so me and him were collaborating about what it could be and da 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 and going back and forth. And as far as, you know, with the footage and what, what it can be adjusted to. So yeah, that's when you start realizing, okay, what are the main key pieces? Who are the main characters here? Da, da, da. It was obvious that Curtis Hines, from the beginning, also Curtis was, was like an obvious like protagonist. And then also Donald Ingram, Brandon Ingram's dad. So it was all pretty obvious. But I guess when, the, when we started editing, that was when we had to start sh- cutting and losing a lot of superfluous kind of, okay. a lot of people had to cut, get, get cut. Although a lot had to be cut just to make it more streamlined, I am strongly toying with an idea of a part two, okay. and we would use actually a lot of stuff we've already shot um, that, that that didn't make the first that didn't make the first part. So smart. That's that's great. I mean, and I'll I would have loved to have watched a series. I there's a I'm sure you've seen it on uh, Netflix. Last Chance You with the. Oh, of course, the man. LA Community College. I just loved the crap. I wanted to actually, it was during COVID. Otherwise, I would have driven to the school from Huntington Beach. And well, that like, producer actually, Go ahead, sir. that producer actually looked at our sizzle and he was going to possibly, well, I was, me and uh, my producers at the time were talking about, <clears throat> he was interested in um, coming on and actually uh, helping us with this project. I oh, mean, we, we, we were just poised, man. We, we just had, it was ex- very, very exciting as far as. You know, I had Clay Twill and Shannon Riggs helping me out, and they they they, they live in and uh, they kill it in the dark world. And I, before I went to go film, I called up Clay and just said, "Hey, can I just get some advice? You know, on making documentaries because I don't know anything about it." And then the next day, he called me back and was like, "Do you want some help on this?" Yeah. And so that became like a six month relationship. And like from and from there, they helped me understand like just the process of how to like get a documentary project off the ground uh, properly, you know, and um, this is how the sizzle needs to be. This is how the treatment needs to be. These are the people we should talk to. Nice. This, this, this is what you're looking for when you make a documentary, which is sound bites or everything. Great sound bites. Um, you know, stuff like that. Uh, okay. Talking about kind of like, because one of the questions I had was how much manipulation goes into making a documentary film. Oh, great. And great. Gotcha. Yeah, and it's and it's like and he paused. And I don't want to speak for him, but I guess I am. <laughs> he, <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> he kind of yeah, whatever. Because he, he paused and then he said, "That's a, I think he said something like that's that's an interesting question. I'm glad you asked it." And then there is editing. You know, it's like manipulation is a nasty word. That's you know, but I mean, it's just you got you know. There's there's certain ethics you want to try to obey, right? You know, right. that you want to that you want to mind. Um, but also, I mean, you are at the end of the day creating some emotional impact through music, through cutting, through you know certain things. But you're not putting any any words in anybody's mouth. You're not. You don't want to. Um, you absolutely don't want to um, um, misrepresent somebody in their viewpoint. That's not what I'm. You know, I mean, there's no need to when you're making a sports documentary or or a uh, a restaurant pandemic story or any of that. Anyway, so but you know, it's a it's a line. It's an interesting. It's just an interesting set, a new set of rules when you go from fiction to nonfiction filmmaking, I guess. Set as well, rules. Okay. I like that. Cause yeah. I, I, I'm just going to say, and of course we'll get into it is as I've gotten older, I get very frustrated with Michael Moore's films. And I yeah. was so in the beginning, like, Oh, you're just against Fahrenheit nine 11. Cause you're singing 
God love America every two seconds. But now I'm just like, okay, you know, you're making me pissed. And I was happy this earlier. This is a good example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Manipulation, yeah. So, I mean, it, like you're saying, we're, we're taking sound that doesn't exist yet. And Marcus is setting his camera down somewhere in North Carolina. So I like, I like <coughs> that you're aware of that. I really appreciate that. So, of course, that's a perfect leeway into Bell V. Great documentary on Amazon Prime and anywhere else that it's available, Marcus. Thank you very much. It, yeah, it's, uh, it's everywhere. It's uh, everywhere that films these days are at. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. You know, coming to a phone near you. <laughs> Yeah, coming to a you know TVOD near you, um, iTunes and Google and Amazon, and it'll be on um, the AVODs uh, in like six months, I think. Uh, okay. Tubi and uh, Roku and that's awesome. all that stuff. I love it. And it's on P- actually it's a PBS. Um, I've also been kind of exploring the PBS world world of things. I really I really like kind of going that route as well, carving out broadcast rights and. Getting your film on Amazon, getting your film like you know on the smart TVs in that capacity, but also getting it on broad, like old-fashioned broadcast, you know, where you're actually beaming out on a satellite, you know, um, right. <clears throat> or whatever it is, and um, and so PBS K- KCET, which is PBS in Southern California, they aired the film back in March after our Santa Barbara Film Festival screening, and there's a company called Neta, I don't know if it's Neta or Neta, N E T A, and essentially you basically they take the film and they send it out to all the other PBS affiliates wow. around the country. Awesome. And basically that just happened this week. So, yeah, so the point is it'll be also available on PBS throughout the country. Sweet. And, um, and it's just so, no, I, I just love, I, I certainly, I just so respect PBS. You know what I mean? It's yeah. almost like the last uncompromised space for, oh, that's, for, that's for films you know i like that especially yeah. especially yeah. doc films you know there's no like sort of as opposed to you submit to some, something to netflix and they come back with what they did to us they say we really like it but there's not enough buzz quality oh okay. and it's like what the fuck is buzz quality first <laughs> number question one there's, question two you said you really liked it what's the problem yes you know. the if you don't if you don't start off day one with 10 million people who like you uh-huh. You're not going anywhere in life. And I heard a great quote the other day. This guy said, we're so obsessed with how many people know us and like us, but we really just need three MFers to overtake a country. And mm. I thought, wow, anything I've really achieved in life, I could really narrow it down to like two or three, you know, that's two or three people who really were there, didn't judge you, didn't question you. And it's like, yeah, you you really don't need 10 million people in my opinion, but Right. We digress. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Hollywood is all, well, I don't say Hollywood, but you know, the low hanging fruit is what I get. Look, I'm not mad at them. I get it. Also, no, yeah. it was a short, it was a short film and it's right. already, you can't expect your short, they have a few short films up there on Netflix, but you can't expect a short film to make it on Netflix. You right. know what I mean? You can't right. be mad at least. So anyways, That's um, a good call. you know, you, you get in where you fit in and every project is where it's, it ends up where it's supposed to end up. That's just what it is. You know, you can be upset about it if you want. And trust me, I have been, but it doesn't really help anything. That's a good, so, uh, yeah, there is the end of the day. You just got to let it be put out your best foot. Right. I mean, with this documentary, yeah, I'm sure you've received this cliche question, but basically Bellevue is about this restaurant in on Wilshire. Now, is this on the West side of the 405? It is. Okay. It is. Yep. So yep, yep, yep. really cool place. I mean, of course, people who haven't lived there or been there have a different take, but I really like that you're doing this because it's between a KFC and a McDonald's. It's this mm-hmm. really cool, funky little French restaurant. Might be bigger than it looked on camera. I don't know. 
other than obvious, like, is there something that's not obvious about what COVID does for a filmmaker? I mean, what kind of crew were you out there with? What was this daily thing like? The crew was made up of uh, myself and myself. Um, <laughs> just me with a camera. Okay. So it was just me. Um, nice. But, you know, Sony FX, it's just technology now. I mean, it's, let's be honest, it does make things much easier. I mean, there's autofocus on this camera, the Sony FX9. You know, there's there's autofocus. The, ca- the sound plugs right into it, and it sounds great if you're not an idiot and you put your settings right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, it, like the, the actual, um, you know, I mean, what? it's just the, the actual image. I mean, it's like, it's so easy and great, and it's very freeing as far as, you don't have, you know, yes, I could have benefited from a sound guy who would have gotten much better sound than I would have gotten, but it was okay. Um, but you don't have to worry about a boom pole coming over your shoulder. You don't have to worry about somebody causing a shadow because they're standing in the wrong place behind you. You don't have to worry about whatever else, you know, worry about like, Hey, are you like their needs, you know, like, are you right. hungry? Should we stop and eat? It's like, no, we're filming here. <laughs> and so it, it, Anyways, as a documentarian, like it, it's so, it's just so fucking pure, right. and like it reminds me of like when I was a kid with a video camera making home movies. I was gonna say it's back and to sound being plugged in the camera. That sounds interesting. I mean, were you just mostly laving yeah. on that? Love and a shotgun mic off the top. No shit. Just coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shotgun and there are mic. some like. Wow. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, wow. You know, and like there are some moments where like. I'm embarrassed by some of the crappy sound, but you know what? That's why you have a great post sound mixer. My man, Jamie Hart, shout out, Jamie Hart. What up? Um, who can clean it up and, uh, God bless him. So, um, anyways, but the, the most important thing is just keeping it intimate and keeping a small footprint. And so, so that like, you know, Vincent, the protagonist, Vincent Samarco, you know, uh, yeah. can, can not be distracted and just can go about it the way he would go about and my big rule to him or my big thing to him when I told him, like my biggest approach to this is that please just try your best to pretend like I'm not to really believe I'm not here. Forget that I'm here unless I ask you a question, you know, right. Just really try to stay in your own space and don't act for the camera. Don't ham it up. Just be who you are already. That's the big thing. And I think keeping that, maintaining that small footprint, which is me and a camera really truly does help with that. That was, I mean, okay, so I'm really digging that because I I was thinking COVID, you probably weren't having like the crew, but I wasn't thinking it would just be down to you because if I got this right, the credits say cinematography, edited, and you're directing. Now, there's always the multiple hat question that to me seems so obvious, but it's not always that obvious. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how like, I've only produced stuff, so I go in and I only have to think about this, that, or the other, but... I've always wondered what it would be like if I wanted to get this shot, but the producer in me is saying, no, we don't have the time. Or the cinematographer in me is saying, you know what, the light sucks, but I know the director in me wants to do it. So can you just tell us anything, what, what it was like wearing three hats for you? When in doubt, just push record. That's it. Just push record. Because <laughs> there's no film. You're not like wasting resources. Right, right, you okay. have plenty of space and battery and card space. It's like, if you don't like it, don't edit it later. I mean, don't use it in the edit later, but... I mean, it's, yeah, it's a lot of the best stuff too is the unplanned stuff for sure. You know, that's what's so beautiful about the doc form is that you don't have the allowance for as much control as you're used to with fiction, which does make things better. I think as humans, we tend to mess things up by trying to control a lot, I like that. you know, 
And so like with fiction filmmaking, at least in my experience, fiction filmmaking is amazing. It's amazing. It's ama I respect it more than ever after going to the documentary forum and like how, you know, how fantastic it is whenever someone makes something that's great from scratch, you know, and like a collaboration of, with all this team of people, just something from scratch, you know, right. but like, I, I was at a point where I've made three micro budget features and a ton of shorts and I've done the best I can and felt like I've wrung out the rag as much as I could with the budgets that I had. Okay. And so to switch from the doc form to the doc form and, uh, just realize that like, you're not going to get a second take on a lot of this stuff most, on anything. You're not going to, um, it's not, they're not dealing with actors. You're dealing with real people. You're, you're dealing with reality. You're not, you're not writing a screenplay. You're dealing with like what's actually happening. It, that doesn't mean that you're not going to, you're, you're still a storyteller. You're still structuring. You're still placing, you're still placing things that become situations that become scenes into containers, you know, sequences that you might have in mind as far as this is where we are in the hero's journey, or this is where we are in this part of the, 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 the structure. But as far as like the, the detail and the, the, the minutia, like, you're not in control of that. So it's just very freeing, actually. It's ironic to say, but it's like the lack of control just felt very freeing, feels very freeing to me when I'm making a documentary because I don't have to stress or worry about, ooh, did I make the right creative choice? Did I? Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Okay. You know I, what I'm okay. saying? That, I like that. But also the, free, the freedom of not having to worry about acting being good or bad, you know, because okay. uh, a lot of times, like, especially with micro budget stuff and no, you know, like everybody needs what they need. And like, it's hard, I think for an actor, especially to put, put out good work when they're rushed and when they don't have time and they don't have like proper resources, you know, and that's what usually happens, I think with micro budget stuff. So it's all about just the audience member, no matter what they're watching, the audience member, really, I think the main ingredient they need it to feel real, right. you know? And so when it's not feeling real, which is the case in a lot of smaller films, that's, that's danger zone. Your movie falls apart with documentaries. The, the thing is, it's already damn real, man. It's already real. So you're already good. Right. It's there. As long as you don't <laughs> ham it up and manipulate, you know, manipulate right. and like try to, so, yeah. So that brings me to something I was really interested in is like, you're making, you know, we all, when we're doing a project, we kind of know if we don't quit that it's going to eventually happen. Now, of course, we don't know. Will it play festivals, whatever. But so you're making a fix, you're making this film and you, you pretty much know you're going to get your day. You're going to do whatever. But with this documentary about what COVID's doing to the world, what was it like to find the not the inspiration? Because he's a really inspiring guy and you're at a really inspiring place. But did you have those kind of moments where you're like, you know what? COVID might shut down the movie. So I might have done. 40 days of shooting, I might be one scene away from the edit and then my movie might not happen because it's shut down. What was that like? One thing about it is COVID is, is what inspired the movie, you know? Right, right. So I went to this restaurant all the time. It was two blocks from my house. It was like my, my lighthouse, if you will, my checkpoint, my, 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 my safe haven. Nice. You know, it was like, so it was so, uh, when I first drove by it and saw the sign out, I said, Oh my God, what's this French restaurant that looks super cool. I wasn't a huge fan of Brentwood before that. Uh, just, just personally speaking, I, I didn't really feel the vibe. And once I came into Bellevue and stepped in there and saw Vincent and talked to him and got to know him, it just felt like, oh man, like where have you been? You know? So there was this personal attachment to the restaurant, 
way before COVID okay. happened, right? Um, we'd always go every weekend, and it was a great time. Great food, great music. It looks awesome. It looks fantastic. I was like, where does this yeah, place Yeah, 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 yeah. And the energy, and it felt like, I've been to Paris twice, and it, but it did remind you of something, a place you'd be in. It felt like you were in Paris, you know, really, um, when you stepped in there. And the most impressive thing was, and I love this coming from like kind of a blue collar, definitely from a blue collar background. It was just so creatively done as far as you, this, this, this side of the street, this, this little, this little corridor, if you will, on Wilshire between Barrington and Bundy is not particularly nice. You know, it's very commercial. It's very, it's a little bit dingy, a little bit kind of not particularly nice, you know, LA funk. Yeah, it's a little L.A. funk there in there. The guy was in between McDonald's and KFC, and you know what kind of people like – that. this sounds terrible, but you know what kind of clientele. And yeah. It's, it's oh, cheap and there, like, yeah. tasty, cheap and tasty food. So, like, it's for, you know, people – there's a lot of homeless folks that are kind of here and there, and there's, like, a lot of people that are trying to just, you know, eat and, and get on with it. But I was just immediately impressed. I was immediately impressed with, like, how it didn't matter to anybody that – to, to all the people that wanted to go there because the place itself was just so dope and, and like well put together and, and classy. And, and it was just, and it, and it just like livened up that whole damn side of the street. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. With elbow grease and just like tasting class and like Vincent's um, charm, you know, Vincent's just way of being. And so anyways, there's that, there's, there's your picture painted with, with Bellevue as far as the restaurant. I mean, it's just fantastic. So cut to the pandemic uh, about three months into the pandemic, two or three months into the pandemic, when we were all just like, what the hell's going on here? We're all worried about our favorite restaurants and you go pick up, I was picking up to go food several times from Belle V. And I also noticed like, man, it just wasn't the same, uh, when you had to take it home and reheat it <clears throat> as it was just being there, you know, right. especially French food. And so I went in one time, I think around May, late April, May, something like that. And I was talking to him, picking up food. And I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, we're good. We're good. We're good. I said, are you good? And I'm worried, man. Are you guys going to close down? He said, well, we're going to build a patio in the back next week. Uh, we're getting ready to build a patio. I'm very excited. So in my brain, my storytelling brain, and I had just I had just finished Chameleon. I had just okay. released it. I mean, I was gearing up to release something in the water, but I didn't have a project that I was filming. And I remember uh, thinking, He's already got one half of the hero's journey here. In my mind, I'm thinking this, you know, as far as he's very likable. He has this conflict, which is the pandemic. He's going to adapt to the pandemic by building a patio in the back. And something's going to happen after that. So that's the last half of the story. So, you know, at first I'm like, I, I say to him, I take a step out of the restaurant, about to leave. And then I have that thought pretty much. And then I go back to him and... I said, hey, do you, can I film you? And I was like, I don't know if it would be like a little Instagram video or a PBS short film. I don't know what, but like I have nothing else to do. And I also, I, I also want to buy this new camera that I've, you know, that I've been dying to get. So it's like, a, oh, yeah, that, which no is, real reason, <laughs> which is terrible to uh, even say, but it's just what it is. And, and, um, but yeah, so he, he was, a, he's like, of course, of course. And, so I, you know, I went to his house the next day and I, I had, I spent that night kind of thinking about this, um, very loose structure, you know, hero's journey, eight sequences, yeah. you know, uh, here's the, obviously we can totally tell the past, the history of Belle V as far as the, 
you know, the, the beginnings of the restaurant and the beginnings of Vincent Samarco and like what that is and this ordinary world, if you will. And then we can go into um, the pandemic strikes. Well, we can go into like, what does he want? And what is it? What makes him tick? You know, and um, right. pandemic strikes. And then there's the desert conflict and inciting incident. And then pan, and then all of a sudden it's a whole new world. And he's at a farmer's market with masks on and like, and it's just this, it's like this nostalgic, weird twilight zone that we can all relate to, even though it wasn't like a long time ago, it feels like forever ago. Yeah. It does. That first few months. One of my favorite elements of the film is just when we go to that farmer's market scene and, and that's the first day me and Vincent started shooting too. Um, and it's just like, it is this whole new thing. It's like, what? We all wearing masks now. Like, what in the world is happening? But the fact that we're all still continuing on, and we're at the farmers market buying vegetables. You know, it's like, okay, cool, life goes on. Right. And with Vincent's um, personality, with his little quips and fun, colorful optimism, it just—it was like that's when I realized, like, this is this is going to work in some way. I don't know how yet, but this is definitely like going <laughs> to work. Because like, it is so whatever to say, but that likable protagonist that, that Vincent's a great protagonist you know it's damn near impossible to like not want to hang out with him and see what happens you know yeah he, oh he's so likable so I like that you said don't kind of don't play to the camera because I just was like I'd get on the 405 right now and go hang out with this dude yeah yeah I was just loving that and so to hear that it was kind of like your place to hang I it makes me sad for a little sec because I have like a burrito place in Southern California. Writer's block hits. Let's go hang out. Yeah. Oh, well, it's the same. <laughs> well, you know what? It's not even just the pandemic. It's also just like the price. I mean, places that were even close. Yeah. Samuel French. That's the place I think about too. Like when I had, when I was having a, an off day, whether I was, you know, okay. I would go to Samuel French and go like read like film books or go see what the right. new film book was. Going in, just even walking around in there and being with other people, you know, like that was my special place during the day, during a weekday. That's gone. Right. You know? That, that, yeah, that's, that's right. I heard about that. Oh, that yeah, sucks. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Uh, you know? I forgot about that. Bandera is gone. That was my spot in Brentwood, too. Actually, that was the other spot that we went to, um, right there on the oh, corner wow. of Wilshire and and uh, uh, Barrington. That's gone. You know, so anyways, uh, it, it's just the way, way of the world. I guess, right. you know, but, um, well, this is the way I look this at is it fantastic is fantastic that you captured it. I mean, yeah. you, that's, I mean, how cool is this? I, like, I don't think you said, like you were saying, I don't think you set out to say, want to go back to my hometown, do something, want to capture this thing that will just be, you know, we won't say how it ends, but small to itself, the story mm -hmm. and kind of everything else will dictate where it goes. I mean, that's such a great way of looking. Well, at that's it. the beautiful thing about documentaries, you know, is you can, in film in general, you can dig, you can dig up the past or you can cement the, the present. You can capture it, you know, and put it out in at least in a, in a video form, uh, you know, visual form. And, and, and I, like Belle V, the documentary, I love it because it's literally the, 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 the lifespan, the beginning, middle, the, the whole film takes place during the lifespan of the restaurant, you know, Belle V. Right. And, um, and, you know, and my, and I've told Vincent this and I'm, you know, I think it's just a gift and a blessing that he did have it at all, was able to do it at all for five years. You know, right. I mean, that's, that's a huge accomplishment in, in LA in this, in this current climate, especially, you know? And so like right. a lot of restaurants didn't have a chance to have a documentary that had to go through the same thing. So, you know, it's like the same way that Vincent is in general. It's just finding that silver lining and, and it's not, yeah, you know, it's more important to, to focus on how you can react to 
something that 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 happens versus just succumbing to what happens do you know what i mean i think a lot of oh, i like that. you know and i think vincent is a, is a good reminder of that his personality is definitely um in line with that especially that time i mean i know tower records on sunset was not the pandemic but it's like every time i go by that little yeah train car there i'm just like this is not whatever is there now it's not even an empty parking lot it's supposed to be tower so i do really like that you were able to capture something that all the people that might go by there like yourself who knew it's not just gonna ask what's that stupid building between between mcdonald's and kfc it's like this was there and i have a movie about it so that's really cool mm, nice yeah and you know what i had nothing else to do anyways there's a pandemic and, and look, <laughs> bell v is another reminder for me and what I'll tell other people too that have an idea on on anything as far as what they, they want to make something they you know a lot of people talk 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 but they don't take action. It's like Bell V is a reminder of just like just push record man just do it man just do it right. because it's like if I stopped and thought about it then we would it wouldn't have been anything you know and a lot of this stuff if you right. stop and just think too much and then you think some more and you don't take action and you try to wait for it to be perfect. You try to wait for all the perfect it's things. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, you're fucking yourself. Like, just go make it, man. And um, and so Bell V is that, you know? It's just like, hey, I just want to film you and see what happens. And next thing you know, you have a film, and, and it's a special film. And, um, and also, personally, like, it was really wonderful to be able to get it to Santa Barbara Film Festival. And, they, they, you know, they were – they loved it and they nominated it for best documentary and to be able to just walk that red carpet with Vincent and Ornella and my dad, who I flew into town and, and my sound, you know, my um, guy, uh, Evan hand who created some music for it. And, and Brian Simpson who helped me edit it, you know, the first cut and, or the second cut and, and um, you know, my buddy Serene and Justine, like just that alone is just validation and it's and, and to you know, it's just like you made a film and you yeah. and you're able to share it in a, in a professional manner, in a high level manner. And then you know we've yeah. got PBS coming up, and you just and you put it out and you move on to something else. And it's just, you know, you just go make stuff. And I think being a professional filmmaker is just go make stuff, do your best, move on. You know. Yeah, and thank you for bringing up that you had your pops out because I've. Been fortunate. I got the plaques. I got the statues. I got the degrees. We've now how the bank account can go up, down, up, down. Mm-hmm. But it's like I don't think I've done anything cooler than when I took my dad to the Warner Brothers lot, and he was oh, like, "Come on, yeah." My name's at the gate. I was like, "Where else is your name?" And he was just so he saw where they shoot Law and Order. And he was just, "I know this courthouse." <laughs> it's so fun. Enjoy, man. Yeah, it's just it's like you know what? What, what is any of this really? It's just like it, just like sharing sharing it with your family and. And my dad's the guy who took me to movies when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. So it's just kind of like a payback thing, you know? Oh, for sure, man. For sure. Well, thank you so much for all your time today, all your insight. We always appreciate that. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. It's always nice to talk to you. Well, that's going to do it for Talking Pictures with Paul Booth and our wonderful Emmy-winning guest, Marcus Mizell. Always great to talk with him. He's been on. This was his third time. So we are happy to continue that relationship. And you know my motto, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, Make sure and watch a good movie. Aloha. Thank you for listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast. Real conversation and movie-induced inspiration.